Welcome to the Calvary Church Podcast. The context of this scripture today is found in Isaiah, the 53rd chapter. It's Isaiah 53 and verse number 5. Isaiah 53 and 5. And it reads, But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. God will bless his word today. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. There was an Italian newspaper that ran a headline some time ago that was printed in all capital letters. And uh, if you are familiar with the uh, rules of texting or emailing, electronic communication, all caps means what? Means shouting or yelling. Uh, so this newspaper was really stressing what it wanted to say in the headline. Let me read it for you. It said, Italian grandparents worth 50 billion euros. Uh, I'm not sure exactly how much in a dollar amount a euro is, but uh, the article that I read said that 50 billion euros is roughly $75 billion in U.S. money. It seems that according to a study that was released, grandparents save Italian families some $75 billion per year, listen to this, by doing household chores and looking after children. How many grandparents we got here today? Okay. Oh, somebody felt a little sharp twang on that one. Feeling your grandparency lately, are you? This report calculated what Italians would have to pay babysitters and maids every year to fill their grandparents' shoes. The study found that by taking care of kids during summer vacation, grandparents saved families 5 billion euros that would otherwise have gone to summer camps, nannies, or daycares. And so today... With uh, a flourish, I would like to let all of our grandparents know you're worth at least $75 billion a year just in the assistance you provide for your children and your grandchildren and even great-grandchildren. We have any great-grandparents here today? All right, we've got three. Okay, praise God. Uh You know what? We are in a society today that seems to be focused on youth and vibrancy, and it seems that uh, elderly people sometimes may be marginalized or, let me uh, use language a little bit easier to understand, the elderly may sometimes be forgotten or relegated to a secondary place in the lives of younger people. You don't have to say amen, but I know that that's true. Hope that that's not true in your case, but if it is, then you're part of a very large population that is, finds themselves in that predicament. 
those who are older find their health limits their ability to work. Physical limitations may hinder their ability to go and do as much as you used to. And I'm reasonably certain that it's pretty safe uh, to say that it may be easy to start feeling like you're not worth as much as you used to be as you once were. Now, I'm a grandparent, and I've discovered that there are things that I can't do today, uh, either that I used to do or like I used to do them. Uh, I, I know the feelings of frustration that come along with struggling to do something that you were once able to do without even batting an eye. And now it gives you trouble, or maybe you can't even do it at all. And, and I would imagine that as age begins to take its toll and uh, some of the ways that we function become limited, it's easy to feel as though our value, what we are worth, has uh, somehow been diminished. But I'm, I'm coming to this pulpit today, this Sunday afternoon, to declare to you that the devil is a liar. Uh, to your kids, to your grandkids, you're worth at least, in a monetary value, $75 billion a year. But let me tell you, to the Lord, you're worth a whole lot more than that. Can I tell you that things are not always as they seem? A gentleman by the name of Michael Sparks was visiting a Nashville, Tennessee thrift store where he bought a candle holder, a set of salt and pepper shakers, and a yellowed print of the Declaration of Independence. Sparks figured that the document was a worthless modern reprint, so he paid the asking price, $2.48 and headed home. After looking over the document for a few days, he wondered if it might be older than he initially thought. So he hopped on the internet, did some research, and after it was all said and done, he found out that he had purchased one of only 200 official copies of the Declaration of Independence that were commissioned by John Quincy Adams in 1820. Of those 235 had been found intact, and Michael Sparks had just purchased number 36. It took a year for him to have the print authenticated and preserved, and then he put it up for auction. At auction, what had appeared to be a worthless reprint of the original Declaration of Independence sold for $477,650. Wow, is right, almost half a million dollars. Now, that faded yellow piece of paper with a reprint of our nation's founding document on it was quite obviously worth more than just a couple of dollars that he paid for it. However, $477,000 seems to be a bit more than a reproduction should be worth no matter how old it is. But here's the truth, ladies and gentlemen. This is the point of this story that I just read. Something, anything today really is worth what is determined 
by whatever someone is willing to pay for it. That's its value. Not what everybody else in the world thinks it's worth, but what the purchaser. Now listen to what I'm saying. The person who purchases or buys the item, what they think the item is worth, that's what its value is. So uh, worth isn't determined by a whole lot of the things that we might normally consider would go into figuring what something's worth, like the cost of the materials to make it or the cost of the labor that went into it. And, and, and those things that we normally think of, you put together to determine what something is worth. But in truth, it is derived from just one person, a buyer's perception of value. That's what determines its worth. So the worth of a thing is settled by the price that is paid for the thing. Okay, you with me so far? I have been in the church a long time, and I have been around the church long enough to know that there are a lot of people, not just elderly, not just grandparents, but young people too, and people of all ages that live under constant condemnation because of their lack of understanding in this area. They live far below, some people really do, their uh, level of blessing that they should have simply because they struggle with a sense of being unworthy, just feeling unworthy. And that's a key word, feeling. They feel like they never measure up. They feel as if they don't matter much and they aren't worth much. They feel uh, this unworthiness. And so the devil is good at using this sense of unworthiness to keep people down and out. And that's a shame. It really is. There are some folk that are listening to me today, whether you're here in person or watching online via Facebook Live, who are living far below your spiritual means because you have allowed the devil to sell you a bill of goods. You have resigned yourself to living with the fact, and it's really not a fact, but the devil's made you believe that it's true, that you aren't worthy of anything more than what you are or what you've got right now, and somehow you don't deserve more of God or even a move of God in your life. I want to put the lie to the devil's scam this afternoon. Your worth to God is worth far more than your past achievements or your failures. Your worth to God is, 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 is by all means more than what you can contribute to the church financially or uh, what you can do around here, what job you can hold around the church or how much time you can put in uh, spend, spending for the work of God. Your worth to God is measured by more than your talent to play an instrument or sing. 
The bottom line is, ladies and gentlemen, you matter to God, and you matter to Him in such a way that your value to God isn't, isn't determined by any of these things that I've mentioned. In fact, your value to God isn't determined by anything that you can do, anything that is within your power to affect. None of that has anything to do with what God sees when he looks at you and he determines your value to him. So if we go back to the principle that we mentioned a while ago that worth is established by what somebody's willing to pay, then it's essential for us to understand this afternoon that our worthiness is not measured by any kind of level of performance that we can attain unto. That's not how God values us. And I'm so glad of that, aren't you? Your worth this afternoon isn't enhanced by any amount of work or effort you're able to contribute uh, in any way to this or any other church or anything in the kingdom of God. Your worth isn't enhanced by the size of your bank account or the size of your offering. Now, there are other things that are affected by the size of your offering and other things that you do and your involvement in church ministry and so forth. But all of that doesn't affect your value and your worth to God. Your worth is based not on your performance and not on any of these other things, but as I mentioned a while ago, your worth is based on the price that was paid for you. And everybody here today needs to understand there has already been a price paid for you. And that price that was paid for you is very, very valuable. Some of you struggle with feelings that you aren't worth much to God because uh, you have failed him too many times. And because of that, you aren't worthy of God's goodness or you're not deserving of God to be good to you. Not so. That's a lie. Some of you struggle with feelings like that because you don't feel like you're able to contribute to the church the way you once did, whether financially or in other ways. That's not true. Can I tell you a secret this afternoon? Your worth was never based on what you did or didn't do. Your worth was never based on your performance or lack thereof. Your worth was never based on great spiritual accomplishments or uh, you just being a good person. Let's just face it, some of us are gooder than others. I'm talking about in our own natural makeup and personality. As a matter of fact, if we had to rely on our own goodness uh, to determine our worth, then we would all fall far short. If we had to go by our, what, what we ourselves can do in ourselves to be found worthy of the blessings of God, 
uh, we'd be up a creek without a paddle, as the saying goes. We would fall far short. I will never, and you will never, be worthy in God's sight on the basis of our own goodness, but we are worthy on the basis of his goodness. Now, this isn't to say that we should not strive to be faithful. We should. We're not saying that we shouldn't strive to be holy. We know that in the Word of God, that, that pleases God when we try to be faithful and we try to be holy and consistent. But those things don't earn me the favor of God. I don't live in the warmth of God's blessings and favor on me because I've been good enough. I enjoy, and so do you, enjoy the blessings of God in our life because God is good enough. It's his goodness that causes my life to be blessed. And I want you to know this afternoon that your worthiness is determined by the price that God decided he was willing to pay for you. Let me say that again. Your worth is determined by the price that God was willing to pay for you. And so the rest of my time this afternoon, I want to just take a few minutes to ask you, to consider the cost of your salvation, what it took for you to be saved, what it took in terms of what had to be done and a price that somebody had to pay and only God could pay it, and he wanted to pay it. That's what he thought of you. That's how much he thought of you and I, the price that he paid for us to be saved and to be brought into right relationship with him in a relationship that's going to last forever. I want you to consider the price that was paid for you, the price that Jesus paid for you and me when he went to the cross. If I were to endeavor to sum up Calvary, that's the name of the hill where the cross was erected upon which Jesus was crucified, to try to sum up that in one word, that one word I believe would have to be excruciating. The root word excruciate means to cause great agony or torment. But it comes from a Latin phrase meaning out of the cross. Did you know that? The word excruciating actually is tied to the cross upon which Jesus died. I want you to know today that everything about the cross is summed up in that one word excruciating. This is the price that was paid for you. This is your worth to God. Now, I'm going to describe it for you in the next few minutes. I want you to listen to it. Some of you have never heard it like this before. Some of you have. Let it remind you what you are worth to God. 
started in the Garden of Gethsemane. The word Gethsemane itself means olive press. Is it that significant? That was where Jesus began this process, where he was to literally be pressed uh, physically and emotionally and spiritually and in every other way. Luke chapter 22 describes the great agony that Jesus had even here in this garden as he prayed earnestly, looking toward the cross, knowing that within the next few hours he would have to suffer one of the most excruciatingly painful deaths that man has ever come up with whereby to kill another human being. Man, even in 2023, still has to this day to come up with a more torturous, more painful way to put another human being to death than through crucifixion. And Jesus, of course, who was God in the flesh, he knew every single bit of pain he was going to endure. It wasn't just that he was thinking, well, I'm going to have to go to the cross and die. I'm doing this because I love the millions upon millions, even billions of human beings that will populate this planet Earth. And uh, so I'm going to have to die. I know it's going to be painful. No, sir. No, ma'am. Jesus, because he was God and because God knows the future, he knew exactly every single bit of pain that he was going to experience. He knew exactly how many soldiers were going to beat him and exactly how hard each one of them would put and how many number of times they would uh, torturously and mercilessly uh, whip him and torture him. And so as he was in that garden praying, it was there that the price he paid through that whole uh, thing began. Because the Bible says before he got done praying, he was sweating, as it were, great drops of blood. His sweat became large drops of blood falling to the ground. The medical term for this is hemohydrosis. And uh, it has been determined that extreme emotional stress can actually cause tiny capillaries capillaries in your sweat glands to burst, resulting in this phenomenon where sweat literally turns into blood. It's where the, the bloodstream and the sweat glands, because these capillaries, which is the tiniest little vessel that carries your blood around your body, burst, and it mixes with the sweat, and you sweat drops of blood. That's part of the price that Jesus paid for you and me. You know, sometimes we find ourselves under extreme uh, emotional distress and stress, and sometimes we feel ourselves struggling over feelings of unworthiness. Can I tell you this afternoon that the first thing that was covered by the blood of Jesus was emotional stress? He went through everything he went through Remember now, the Bible says he was tempted in all points like we are. So whatever you have been through or are going to go through in this life, no matter how bad it may be, Jesus went through it also. And here he went through emotional stress. He knows what it's like when you experience that. He knows what it's like 
when you can't seem to find your way emotionally and you don't, you don't know what's going to happen and you're worried or you're just, you just feel yourself on edge for whatever reasons are going on in your life. But the blood that flowed at Calvary's cross started flowing in that garden and it never stopped. He was betrayed there by a friend, one of the 12 that followed him for three and a half years during his earthly ministry. 12 men who should have been the most loyal to them. One of them turned on him, betrayed him. We know that was Judas Iscariot. As a result of that betrayal, Jesus was arrested. He was dragged before the high priest where a soldier struck Jesus across the face simply because Jesus was silent because he would not answer his accusers. The palace guards then blindfolded him, mockingly taunting him to identify them. Remember now he was blindfolded. They said they would hit him, and then they would say, tell us, who was that? They just hit you, and then someone else would hit him. They would say, all right, if you're who you say you are, who just struck you then? Or better yet, who's about to strike you? And they... They humiliated him that way. They spit upon him and struck him over and over again. Now, remember, at any time during this process, Jesus could have put a halt to the whole thing. He could have called legions of angels, the Bible said. Uh, A Roman legion had up to or perhaps more than 10,000 in it, soldiers in. He could have called 10,000 angels to destroy all of these men, to destroy the whole world and say, forget it. I'm going to make a new earth and start all over again. Forget these slobs that are doing this to me. But I'm so glad he didn't do that. He said, I love them too much to do that. He could have, though, at any time saved himself from the pain that was to come. But he didn't for one reason, because in God's eyes, you were worth him going through all of this. And there's more. In the early morning, battered and bruised, dehydrated and worn out from a sleepless night and all that he had been through, Jesus was taken from where he was, beaten all the way across Jerusalem to the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate. And there Pontius Pilate, I'll just go quick, he responded to the outcry of the mob who were saying, crucify him. Pilate uh, tried to avoid that. He knew that Jesus wasn't worthy of death, so he offered to release to them a murderer by the name of Barabbas. He said, your custom is for me to let one criminal go, in other words, pardon him. And he said, let me... uh, Let me uh, pardon Barabbas uh, and and release Barabbas. And this man, just let him go on his way. And and they cried out and said to him, No, we want you to give us Barabbas and crucify Jesus. And so with that ploy failed, the process continued. The beating was severe. He was beaten again, stripped down to the waist, his hands tied above his head to a post in the ground, and a Roman soldier then used a cat of nine tails. That's a whip, 
a leather whip with nine strings on the end to beat Jesus with it. And it wasn't just uh, uh, an ordinary whip. Each of the nine tips of the cat of nine tails had tied into it bits of bone and glass. So it was brought down with such great force across his back and his, soldier, his shoulders that his back was literally sliced to ribbons by the bone and the glass in the nine whips that were whipping him. And his flesh began to be torn to pieces. His internal organs began to show. The whip cut through skin and muscle all the way down to the bone as the 40 lashes were laid upon him. Folks, this is the price of your healing and mine. Praise God. This is your worth to God. This is how much you matter to him. Your healing or your blessing is not determined by your goodness or anything that you have done or could do. But he determined what your healing was worth to him, and he paid that price for it. By his stripes, Isaiah said, we are healed. You don't get good enough to get healed. You don't get good enough to get blessed by God. Your miracle, your strength, and your peace and whatever you need from God isn't doled out by him on the basis of your worthiness, but it's yours today on the basis of the price that he paid for it. Hallelujah. The half-fainting Jesus was then untied and allowed to slump to the ground. The Roman soldiers threw a robe over his shoulders and placed a stick in his hands to be a mock scepter as a king would have, and they mocked him as a king. They wove a crown of thorns and pressed it into his scalp, and as the thorns pierced his brow, more, yet more blood flowed from his body. After mocking him some more and striking him across the face, the soldiers took that stick from him and struck him about the head, driving the thorns deeper and deeper into his already bloodied head. And I want you to think about this. As the blood flowed down his face and into his eyes and into his mouth, you were on his mind. You and I were on his mind when he went through all of that. The book of Hebrews chapter 12 tells us that he endured all of that the suffering of the cross for the joy that was set before him. That joy, my friend, was the joy that he would feel in his heart. You see, the Bible says we're made after God's image. He has emotions just as we have emotions. And he was thinking about that day as he was going through this process of literally being poured out for you and I. He was thinking about you, 
and the joy that would come into his heart that day you would kneel somewhere at an altar and repent of your sins and that day that you would allow a preacher to baptize you in the name of Jesus in a baptismal tank and especially that day that you would let him fill you with the gift of the Holy Ghost speaking in other tongues as the Spirit give the utterance. That's how the Bible describes it happening. The joy that he felt that day because you would say yes to him. Praise God. That is the price he paid for you. That is your worth, your value to God. Finally, the soldiers grew tired of their sadistic sport. They tore the robe from his back, the treacherous wounds there from the whipping. They'd already begun to clot, and they stuck to that robe. And when they pulled the robe off, its removal caused those wounds to be opened afresh, and more blood began to flow. Then it was time. It was time. They placed the heavy cross beam of the cross that weighed nearly 100 pounds upon his back across his shoulders and ordered him to begin the long journey to Calvary. In spite of his efforts to walk erect, the weight of the cross combined with the pain of the beating and the huge loss of blood caused him to grow weak. He stumbled and he fell. The Roman centurion in charge turned and picked a man by the name of Simon out of the crowd and said, you, you carry his cross. And when they removed that cross beam from Jesus' shoulders, I'm sure where the, the beam had gouged into his lacerated skin and muscles, the blood continued to flow. But as he had reached the endurance limits of human beings, remember now, this was the price that he paid for you. They took that cross and they gave it to this man called Simon. When they arrived at the top of Calvary, they threw him down. I'm sure they weren't considering his comfort not one little bit. And they uh, uh, took the nails, which were really more like railroad spikes in size, and they drove those through the bone in his hands and in his feet, affixing him to that cross. And then with a painful jolt, they picked it up and they threw it down into the hole that had been prepared for the cross. And as Jesus felt his full weight come upon the nails in his hands and in his feet, excruciating, fiery pain shot through his body along the fingers and up the arms and exploded in the brain. And the nails were putting pressure on the median nerve and the weight of his sagging body was making it difficult to breathe. And in order to breathe, he had to push down with his legs so that he could extend his body enough to draw in a breath of air from into his lungs. And the pain that this caused was indescribable. The rough wood of the cross against the lacerated and torn muscles of his back 
caused the nerves in his hands and feet that were rubbing against it and against the rough iron nails that held him in place to bring an agony that was beyond comprehension. I want you to know today what you are worth to God. He loves you this much. He cares about you this much. Hallelujah. He wants to help you, to minister to you, to strengthen to your weary body this much. This is the price that he was willing to pay for you. Praise God. I've told you this before, but let me describe it again. Death on a cross comes from asphyxiation, suffocating to death. As the arms grow tired, Great waves of cramps sweep over the muscles, knotting them in tremendous pain. And those cramps make it impossible to push the shoulder up high enough for the lungs to do their job and to work. And so hanging by the arms, the large muscles of the chest and the small muscles between the ribs are unable to do their work. And so Jesus could breathe air in, but he couldn't exhale it. So he would have struggled to raise himself just enough in order to get one short breath and then slump back down, not being able to breathe again until he did it all over again, excruciating pain shooting through every fiber of his being push up with his feet just enough to exhale so that he could slump back down and take in another small breath. He suffered six hours of limitless pain, cycles of twisting, joint-rending cramps, slow, constant suffocation, and the agony of each time raising up to struggle for a breath, the scraping of his open back and the wounds there against the rugged cross upon which he was hanging. No, Calvary was not a pretty thing, folks. It's not something that I would wish on anybody, no matter what my dislike for them may be. And if you were really to see it in all of its pain and agony, you would have to turn away quickly in horror, and it would cause your stomach to turn. The pain and the agony and the stench of death that linger in the air and all of its horror, think about it, ladies and gentlemen, all of the atrocities, all of the pain, all of the terror, everything that is about this, this way of dying so horribly and painfully, it, it really is a, a, a symbol of something today. It is a symbol of the things in this life and the things in this world that are totally against God. This is a, a reflection, really, of the severity of sin and the agony of hell. This is the price that God was willing to pay to save your soul. This is the price he was willing to pay to spare you and I the horror of hell. This is the measure of your worth to God.
I, I, I didn't really come with the intent of ruining your day or making you feel bad during this Sunday school lesson. But I wanted to pull back the veil of history for just a moment and let you glimpse how serious the severity of the cross that it really was. Because some of us need to be reminded today of what we really are worth to God. This is how much you matter to the kingdom of God. This is how important you are to the church. This, my friend, is the true measure of your worth. This is how much God loves you. You are priceless beyond comparison. God didn't do this all for any other creature on this earth or in this universe. God didn't go to such extreme lengths. He could have, but he chose not to go through all this to redeem fallen angels that rebelled with Lucifer from heaven. No, he said they're bound forever in chains of darkness. But you, you and I who were born sinners, who've sinned all our lives until we come to God, he did it for you and me. He did it for us, first of all, because we're made in the image of God. I want you to know this afternoon, you're special to God. You matter to God. But the truth that I want to convey really today is applicable to everybody in this building and everyone that's watching online. You are unspeakably valuable to God. You are worth something to God. And so the next time the devil comes around taunting you and and mocking you and making fun of you and telling you that you aren't worthy to God, I want you to remind him of your value. Remind him that what you are worth is determined by that price that I've just described that was paid for you. Put up Isaiah 53 and 5 again, Brother Terry. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace. That means somebody had to be chastised for us to have peace. He paid that price at Calvary for us so that you can have peace today. And oh, by the way, with his stripes, we have healing for our body. Praise God. Today, I want you to realize your worth to God. I want you to consider the cost that he was willing to pay for you. As every head is bowed and every eye closed, I want you to consider the price he paid to redeem you, to buy you back from sin if you so choose. Now, you have a say in this. You have a choice in the matter. He's already paid the price for you to avail yourself of the gift of his salvation, but he's not going to force it on you. The devil's tried to tell you you're not worthy. 
And on the outside, you may not look like much. But the truth of the matter is you are a priceless treasure because the Lord of glory looked down on your life and he said, I'm willing to pay the ultimate price for you. And whatever you need this afternoon, you can find in him. He bought and paid for emotional healing. He bought and paid for physical healing. He paid the price to redeem you, to buy you back from your life of sins and cover you with his righteousness. He, God, and God alone sets your value and nothing in this world, not how old you are, not what physical limitations you may have or anything else can ever change that. My friend, you are priceless in God's eyes. Priceless. Hallelujah. Why don't we just go to him right now and thank him for that? I don't know about you, but every time I hear these things that I've brought to you today. I'm reminded of how great and how good, how kind and how generous our God is. And it just makes me want to thank him again for all he's done for me. Isn't that how you feel about it today? Let's do that right now. Heavenly Father, come on, let's all talk to the Lord right there at your seat. Jesus, we love you today. God, we want to thank you for what you did for us at Calvary. Oh, what a good God you are. You went through so much that we might have so much. Lord, the value that you see in us is equal to the price that you paid for us at Calvary's cross. We want to thank you for it today. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, I pray that everyone under the sound of my voice, if they haven't already, would take advantage of what you did that day at Calvary for them. That they would say yes to your gift of eternal life. That they would obey your plan of salvation and do what the Bible says you want us to do, to enter into your kingdom, to repent of our sins, to be baptized in Jesus' name. And receive the Holy Ghost as evidenced by speaking in other tongues, just like the Bible says. God, you did so much. Why would we not want to do so little in order to take advantage of the price that you paid for us? We love you so. We praise you for what you did at Calvary. And Lord, though we don't understand it, this worth this value that you see in every one of us today. We're so grateful for it. We're so thankful for it. Thank you, Lord, for considering the cost that it would take to redeem us from our sin and you being willing to pay that cost. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Could you lift your hands and just praise the Lord right now? Come on, just thank him. I love you, Jesus. Oh, I praise you for Calvary. I thank you for the cross, the blood that you shed there. Though I may be unworthy and feel unworthy, you deemed me worthy. And I thank you for that today. 
Help me to walk and live my life in a way that's pleasing unto you because of this great price that you paid for me. I love you, Jesus. I praise you for it all. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. Well, God bless you today. We're going to enter into a time of pre-service prayer. That concludes our Sunday school hour. Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. Calvary Church is located at 406 North 44th Street in Mount Vernon, Illinois. Service times are Sunday school at 1 p.m. every Sunday, except the last Sunday of each month, and worship service at 2 p.m. Also, we have an all-church service at 6.30 p.m. on Wednesday. Calvary Church is affiliated with the United Pentecostal Church International. Thank you, and have a blessed day.